This is Larie Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. Brave Boy. She is a former state delegate uh, in the state of Maryland. She is recently elected as state's attorney for Prince George's County. Uh, she is an accomplished attorney with more than 17 years of legal and legislative experience. Uh, she served as the manager of government affairs for Children's National Health System and served as of counsel in the law offices of J- Gabriel Christian and Associates, where she represented clients and uh, clients in criminal and civil matters. Uh, state's attorney Brave Boy, it is such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Absolutely, absolutely. I've I've been uh, following your your rise into this position for a little while now, and it's a real pleasure to get you on air to talk about uh, your journey. And for people who are not familiar, those who are outside of the state of Maryland, can you just let us know what is a state's attorney and what falls within the purview of your authority in that role? Absolutely. Well, well, in many states. Um, my role is considered the district attorney. In some of the Commonwealth states, it's the Commonwealth attorney, like in Virginia or Pennsylvania. Um, and so we are called different things, but we operate basically the same way. We are the top uh, law enforcement officer of our respective jurisdictions. We uh, primarily, uh, people know us as being the top prosecutors, um, but Really, we are the top justice seekers, and so prosecution is part of what we do, uh, but we we do a lot more than that. We also look at second chances. We also look at diversion. Mm. We engage in policy discussions, and, and we lead policy discussions. And so we are really a, a very comprehensive office that focuses not simply on convictions, not simply on punishment, but really on this elusive thing sometimes called justice. Mm, I'm really glad that you you presented that in a way that sort of spoke to the ability to be expansive in how we define justice. Now, before you were elected to this position, were you serving as a prosecutor? No, no, I was not serving as a prosecutor before this position. However, I did for about 17 years serve as a volunteer general counsel uh, for the largest juvenile diversion program in our county. It's called the Community mm-hmm. Public Awareness Council. So I've worked with a number of uh, stakeholders in the criminal justice system, including prosecutors, uh, public defenders, defense attorneys, um, sheriffs, and police officers throughout our community. So I was very familiar, very, uh, you know, uh, I guess, involved in the criminal justice system, but I had not served as a prosecutor before taking this job. Mm, I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of folks were excited about your candidacy was because you were someone who was really involved in the other side or one of the other sides uh, of the criminal legal system. And how does your, your experience in that role, that 17 years of really seeing how the system works from that particular vantage point, how does that inform the work that you engage in uh, with the prosecutors who work for you? And, and how does it inform the work uh, as you see it when it comes to security? Curing justice on behalf of some of the more vulnerable communities that you represent. Absolutely. Well, it, it was an invaluable experience uh, because one of the things that I got to really fully appreciate is that um, people can and do change. 
that there is uh, redemption, that there is rehabilitation, that if you pour in and invest in people, uh, even those who've made mistakes, um, if you can touch them in some way uh, that inspires them to do and be better, that they can change their lives around. So I have not been afraid in this role as state's attorney uh, to look for opportunities um, to provide that restorative justice and opportunities uh, for mm-hmm. second chances for people who others may look like, look at as throwaways. So I have wow. definitely um, been intentional about giving second chances, uh, especially to our juvenile lifers. I was the first state's attorney in Maryland to develop uh, a, a unit that reviewed prior sentences to determine whether or not those sentences were fair and whether or not those individuals serving those sentences deserved an opportunity for reconsideration. Since then, we have been able to get nearly 20 individuals out of prison, and we're working on um, dozens more right now. And, um, And in addition to that, I worked with our state legislature to pass a bill that gave other uh, juvenile life or serving sentences in other parts of the state an opportunity for restoration because, as you can imagine, most of my colleagues were not excited about the idea of reviewing old mm. sentences of people who've committed serious offenses. But that's something we needed to do, and now it's being done here in the state of Maryland. I love that. And, and even the fact that we can acknowledge a lot of people don't like these types of measures. <laughs> they do not necessarily uh, value them the way that they should be valued. You know, as I hear you discussing and describing your perspective, it feels very much like uh, the type of prosecution or the type of prosecuting ideology that we would sort of bring more under the label of progressive prosecutor. Now, that's an interesting phrase because it doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. When you hear the term progressive prosecutor, how would you define that term? You know, it's hard because I think everyone has their idea of what being a quote-unquote progressive is. And if you don't fit into that mold and every decision you make or everything you do, then then somehow you're not progressive. So what I would mm-hmm. say is that I'm a balanced prosecutor. And I think that's the better term. And that's actually um, what we are supposed to be doing in the justice system. That's what lady justice is all about, right? There's a, a, a woman who is blind Balancing and holding scales. a balance, you know, <laughs> the scales of justice. And so it has to be balanced. And that's what we must do. We must have a balanced justice system. And so what I would say is that for me, I, I would more describe myself as a balanced prosecutor um, who understands the progressive ideology um, and understands that we should be uh, moving towards progress. I mean, the, the idea of progress means to better ourselves. And so that's, that's what I'm about. Um, but I have to do that in um, really a framework of understanding that there are people who have committed very serious offenses. You have victims who need justice. Um, and so we and, and, and we want to deter people from committing crimes. Um, that doesn't always come just solely through punishment. And in, in many cases, punishment doesn't necessarily deter um, individuals. It just stops them for a period of time. What really deters criminal behavior is addressing those underlying issues that are driving the criminal behavior. And so um, that, that's why I would say I'm balanced and fair as opposed to just simply progressive.
Mm, okay, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. Now, when we tend to hear about progress, uh, or not progressive prosecutors, but when we tend to hear about prosecutors who are uh, examining their role with a bit more thought, perhaps a, a bit more balance, <laughs> to, to use <laughs> your phrase, um, a lot of times they will identify or, or they will mark their tenure in office uh, through embracing alternative programs. You've already mentioned diversion, uh, and, and the only reason I know about diversion is because when I was a wild child, I I myself got arrested and it was not for protest. Uh, those arrests came later and I too had to go through a diversion program. Uh, so listen, y'all, if you have a child who right now is in a diversion program or is of that type, just know it can get better. Uh, but, but attorney brave boy, when we, when we think about these programs that, that prosecutors across the country are trying to incorporate in a way that, that will produce a different set of outcomes, right? I, I often think about yes. uh, vice president Kamala Harris when she was in office, as a state's attorney before uh, her campaign became national, uh, you know, she was really trying out things that people had not considered before. As a prosecutor, she was really effective at creating alternative ways of securing justice. What are some of the programs that you are looking to either uh, build upon within your jurisdiction or introduce into your jurisdiction that will allow you to really bring some more of that uh, ideology of balance into the real lived experiences of those who are criminal legal system involved and those who, as you noted, need justice for the harm that they have suffered? Absolutely. Well, I'm happy that you brought up uh, our Madam MVP, Madam Vice President. Yes, uh, yes. In fact, one of her programs, the Back on Track program that she started so many years ago as the district attorney in San Francisco, uh, which is a program that gave first-time felony uh, drug offenders the ability to, uh, you know, complete a program and then uh, have their their charge, their conviction um, struck from their record, uh, we have a similar program that my predecessor brought here uh, that did essentially that same thing. Uh, what we noticed was that because the criteria was so narrow, there were very few people uh, who were uh, eligible for the program. And so when I got here, there were about three people in the program. Uh, so what I did is I expanded the eligibility uh, we hired some great professionals that can work uh, with, uh, as case managers with those who are in the program, and we expanded the criteria to um, uh, cover certain other offenses that are related to drug dealing, but not necessarily drug dealing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we were able, now we have 25 people in the program, and that's the max number that we can have based on uh, our capacity. Uh, we're hoping to grow our capacity so that we can have even more individuals in the program. And I can tell you the folks who are going through the program, they're doing great. And those who have completed our program are uh, working full-time. Um, many have obtained their uh, educational degrees. Um, and so these are people, again, who have made mistakes. Um, they needed to have consequences for their mistakes, but they didn't need that mistake to destroy the rest of their life. So that's a great program. So I'm very happy that Madam MVP was, uh, was on the forefront of that issue. Uh, something that I am working on right now that I think is super exciting is an emerging adult program where um, my office works with our state prison uh, to identify inmates who are serving sentences, some for very violent offenses like carjackings or armed robberies, who must serve time, um, but also when they get out, we want them to be um, you know, ready to come back and, and make a difference in our community in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And in 
so we have an emerging adult pilot program. And these are this is for individuals 18 through 26 who are serving time um, for certain qualifying crimes. And then we what we do is we we do character development. We expose them to uh, different industries. We um, provide them with a mentor um, mm. and a plan and a plan for success when they leave. If they successfully complete this program, uh, we work uh, to reduce their length of uh, stay in the prison. Uh, so we are working with the prison right now to have several of the individuals who have completed our program um, be, be placed on a different status so that they can come back to the community. So we're really excited about that because mass incarceration is real. In yes. Maryland, blacks make up 30% of the population, but over 70% of those in prison and over 80% of those who are wow. serving the longer sentences, meaning 10 years or more. And mm. so as a prosecutor, I have to look at how does this, you know, length, how do these lengthy sentences impact uh, these individuals? Because if you go into prison at 20, 21, 22, and you come out at 30, 35, well, now you're really trying to start your life um, mm. as a 35-year-old, right? right? And that's right. harder to do. And so my question is, yes, what can you do to ensure safety in your community, but also that these individuals who have committed offenses have a, have a pathway to real success? So that's what I'm about. Mm. Now, you also have, you, you, as you mentioned earlier, the state's attorney's position is not just about uh, criminal legal justice and uh, or reform, but there are also other elements that fall within your purview, like the Operation Protect the Vote for All, uh, which is something that is a big problem right now uh, as it pertains to the ways that uh, our community members are often prohibited from equitable access to the ballot. How does this program show up in, in align with your, your uh ideals about balance within uh, the realm of your office? Absolutely. Well, one of the things that we know is that when an individual commits an offense or is alleged to have committed offense and is arrested and charged, uh, they are innocent, right, until proven guilty. Um, so we have hundreds of people in our local jail that are awaiting trial, uh, many on very serious Offenses. However, they have the presumption of innocence, and as right. um, an, a, 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 an individual who has not yet been convicted in the state of Maryland, you absolutely have the right to vote. And mm -hmm. so what we wanted to ensure is that those who were either serving time on misdemeanors offenses, which, which would still not preclude you from voting, so if you uh, are serving time on a misdemeanor offense, then you can still vote, um, and then individuals who are being held pre-trial um, also have the ability to vote. So what we did is we worked with our local department um, or board of elections to provide um, voter registration applications for those who ha had not been registered to vote and uh, ballots, mail-in ballots for those who w wanted to vote but obviously could not go to the polls because of their status as an inmate. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to get that out to our um, local jail uh, everyone who wanted to vote had the opportunity to vote. I can tell you over 200 of our inmates voted. And of those uh, uh, 200 uh, who voted, 80% of those were new voters. Oh, wow. Which means that they had never voted before, but they voted this time. And so we're hoping to encourage them to continue to access uh, 
uh, their right to vote. Okay, now that I, I hate it that that is where they first encountered their civic engagement opportunity, uh, but I'm glad that that opportunity was there. It reminds me of when uh, you know you watch the story of Malcolm and he learns to really read in prison. He learns to really think critically about his condition in prison. And so, as awful as it is that that is the first place that they became uh, voters, I'm glad that at least the program was there uh, for their benefit, so that they were able to make their voices heard. And as you said, hopefully that will now have them on a lifelong path of being involved uh, more critically with how decisions are made in their community. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the way COVID has impacted your ability to secure that balance. Uh, and, and if yeah. you had identified as a progressive prosecutor or, or a traditional prosecutor, I'd be asking you the same question because one of the things that we've seen is that regardless of the intentions of those who are working within uh, the criminal legal system, COVID has really complicated a number of things. We've seen uh, how that showed up in a variety of states across the country. How has the pandemic impacted your ability to still maintain balance as a central pillar of your administration so that you are able to meet the needs of, of the community and, and their desire for justice? And, and I want to be clear about this, because a lot of times we, we seem to forget when it comes to black prosecutors um, that if there is a black crime victim, that person also deserves justice, right? So so we often, there's this tension between recognizing the, the entrenchment of race racism and white supremacy within the criminal legal system and also recognizing that that is the one place for now. I'm working on some things in my, in my civil rights advocacy space. This is the one place for now <laughs> that a lot of us can go to secure justice. Uh, and COVID has really thrown a wrench in the plans of even those prosecutors who are the most uh, uh, balanced or progressive oriented. How has it impacted your ability uh, to maintain a sense of equity between those two com competing needs? Well, you know, I think that my approach has always been one that has been balanced from the very beginning. So I have not really changed at all my positions, the policies, the work that we're doing. Um, you know, so I was um, the first prosecutor in the state to say, you know what, we're not going to, or at least my prosecutors will not request a bail, um, cash bail, that is as a condition of pretrial release. Either an individual uh, should be released because he, he or she is not a danger to our community um, and not a flight risk, or that uh, the individual is a danger. And if so, then that individual should be held without um, a bail or bond. And so, um, but before I did that, what I what I did is I worked with pretrial services to find out, um, you know, what their uh, program looked like, the capacity of the program, if they could really monitor people pretrial, how many people they could monitor, if they were on, on electronic monitor, how, how um, comprehensive is, is that a system that they have in place for those who we believe have committed more serious offenses but could be out in the community, but we want them to be monitored while they're in the community. Uh, I wanted to make sure that we had the capacity before we moved in that direction. Since uh, we did take that time to determine that, um, we have not changed our policy. Uh, we uh, also don't, um, we don't, we've not prosecuted uh, uh, prostitution since I really was, became the state's attorney because that was the first um, diversion program that I put into place. But what I also did was I worked with four nonprofits who work in our community to, to service those who are, um, either victims of human trafficking or who choose commercial sex work as a profession because 
um, of their circumstances. But we want them to, you know, certainly come into compliance with the law and turn their lives around. But we can do that without prosecuting them. So we've been, so we have been very thoughtful and deliberate about how we have gone about to implement our reforms. And so as a result, uh, we have continued on with these policies and, in fact, developed new ones like the Emerging Adult Program that I think will be revolutionary and really will change, I think, how jails and prisons ultimately work um, because we have to provide more comprehensive uh, enrichment for those who are still when I say emerging adults, they're still becoming adults. Even though they have right. legally turned 18 and they're legal adults, mentally, biologically, physiologically, they are not a full, full-grown, brain-fully-developed kind of people. Right. And we have to make right. um, room for that in the justice system. I really appreciate that. And we only literally have 90 seconds oh. left. But I okay. just want to ask if you can share, uh, unless you, unless I can keep you into the next hour, but I know you have a lot and we have a limited time. But my last question for you is, what would you say to young uh, black attorneys or attorneys in waiting out there who want to become prosecutors, but who do not necessarily see their ability to maintain a commitment to racial justice while in that role? I know it's a big question in 30 seconds or less, but the clock is on you. Go. <laughs> Well, I went to Howard University School of Law, and so I never right, thought yeah. I would be a prosecutor. That's the first thing I want to say. But learning how the system works and the power that the prosecutor has, you know, I feel like I have done a lot of civil rights work as a prosecutor. And I think that it's just about how you approach the job, how you approach the job, the bold stances you're willing to take, you know, the hits you might take from those in the system who don't want to see that change, uh, but standing up for what's right. So it's really about you as an individual. And so I say, come to, 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 to a prosecutor's office, learn what we do, and learn how you can empower your people through seeking justice in a fair and balanced way. I love it. We will have to leave it there for time's sake. Her name is Aisha Brave Boy. She is the state's attorney uh, for PG County in Maryland. I always thought I would end up living in PG County. It has been a real pleasure having you here. I hope we can get you to come back to help us tease out I would love insight. I would love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Follow her, folks. Follow her. You can follow her on Twitter at S-A Brave Boy. Uh, S-A-B-R-A-V-E-B-O-Y. 